God, uh, we just surrender ourselves, Lord, and we just ask that you would rewire the way we think. Lord, if we don't get this right, if we don't get your goodness right, Lord, we're just, everything's going to be a mess. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would give us profound wisdom for who you are. And we just give ourselves and our minds and our hearts to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. It was really fun to share uh, last week. Because I got to share a lot about my kids. And I have a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old. And uh, so sharing, like, you know, theology from fatherhood, it's uh, it's. It's really fun, and, and so it was fun to share some of the stories. And I thought that talking the goodness of God would just be, you know, kind of like a message here. And, and every time, like, I dig a little bit deep, I just get, like, it's almost like I hit this well. And so I have no idea how far I'll get tonight. I have no idea how long this will go. I'm just going to keep going with it. Uh, but, and so some of the feedback last time was just, it was really fun. And uh, you guys are, are really gracious and loving to me. But there was one thing that stood out, is that the number one thing I heard was that, the description you've given for a good father on earth is completely brand new to me. Followed by, and my father didn't X, Y, Z. The most frequent comment I had wasn't just about, oh, that's great about God. It was like the picture that you've painted about an earthly father is completely foreign to me. And it's wrecking my mind is what the feedback was. Now, I feel like I'm the luckiest man in the world for many reasons. Possibly because, not because I'm just, you know, born in America. Like, if you're born in America, you have, like, struck the lottery. Seriously. Not because I have a wonderful education. Not because I get to be an entrepreneur and have my own, you know, kind of trajectory I get to set with a startup. Not because I have an amazing staff, because I do. Not because I have an amazing wife who's, like, five rungs higher on the ladder than I should have been able to marry. Not because of my amazing physical physique. No? No? (laughs) Not supposed to laugh that much, okay? (laughs) Gentle. The reason I feel like I'm, I'm literally the luckiest man in the world is because my earthly father matched my heavenly father. My earthly father matches my heavenly father. Fathers, let me just talk about this for a little bit, about bad fathers, difficult fathers, fathers that have brokenness. Let me just say a couple things about it. Is that fathers have a target on their back. Satan doesn't want there to be good fathers because a good father reveals our good father in heaven. It's Satan's plan for the word father, dad, daddy, to be one of the most harmful, painful, and loveless concepts you've ever known. That's his strategy. We're loving fathers like saying he's a compassionate murderer. That's what Satan wants you to associate, have this completely foreign concept of what it means to have a loving father. And so Satan wants to shatter every notion you have of a good father so that when you hear the words heavenly father, you associate earthly father. Strategically, Satan is aiming for dads. When you think of the brokenness and hurt of your dad, when you think of the absence and the judgment, when you think of the pain that might have been inflicted in your life, don't think about him. Think about that Satan's plan for him was fulfilled. That actually was by design. And now in this era of my fatherhood, I realize how strategic 
My role is for my kids to know God, not just simply telling them about Jesus and like, you did bad things, you needed those bad things to go away. It's not that, it's like that, that I am the greatest representation of the earthly father they'll ever have. But many of us in this room have never had that experience, and somehow you wound your way to God, amazingly. But even being saved... Satan's design is for you to actually still have a messed up concept of God. Because if you have a messed up concept of an earthly father, the pattern is that you would have that same messed up concept of your heavenly father. And if you don't have a right relationship, and you don't have connectivity to the earthly father, your faith is going to be limited to being a pew potato. You'll be completely ineffective if you're completely disconnected. And everyone around you will seem like they are, they're saved, but man, there's people that are really saved. You know that? Like people that are like oversaved, dare I say it? <laughs> people that are like religious nuts, not like, you know, protesting funeral nuts. I'm talking like the, the mushy, gushy, like, really? Come on, God's in the taco. Really? Come on, you know? The people who make you feel uncomfortable, the hyper spiritual, right? We all know hyper spiritual people. Maybe you are one. You're like, I'm that. <laughs> Here's the deal about the hyper spiritual people is that the hyper-spiritual people have the deepest and most intimate relationship with the Father. Say what you want about their life. The people who have the deepest relationship, the most intimate relationship with the Father, happen to be them. The people I would be a little bit uncomfortable with. Now, it doesn't say that everyone who has a wild, deep relationship with God the Father has their life perfectly in order. I mean, we all have dysfunction. But that's something that's amazing is that as I see people who encounter the radical goodness of God, like their life just kind of comes unraveled. They just can't even help it. And that's what I want for my kids. I want my kids to think of me that they just, they can't even help it, that they're silly. My daughter is the silliest little creature that has ever lived. And I feed it all the time, you know. I'm like almost extracting her silliness because it's a reflection of what I want her to be free with me. So fathers are very strategic, so... Last night, let me, let me catch you up from last week. Talking the goodness of God is that the goodness of God is not limited to what you see. Talking about how my kids have zero concept of all the things I do throughout the entire day, throughout my entire life, throughout my entire week and year that I do for them, that completely goes unnoticed. That the goodness of God is not dependent on your behavior. We looked at how Jesus was radically good to people, sinners in boats, got in with them, blessed them abundantly. That the goodness of God is about your heart, that God, like, aims for your heart to reach you and only you, and that the goodness of God is personalized for you. It's not a one-size-fits-all goodness of God. So the first thing I want to share with you tonight is that the goodness of God is influenced by your desires. This is probably the most radical concept that I know of right now as a father, that the goodness of God is influenced by your desires. That God's desires are influenced by your desires. The goodness of God doesn't just aim for your heart, but God's desires conforms to your heart. Here's something that's unique with the people that are engaged to getting married. The longer you spend with someone, the more you become like them. I know people who look like their dog and cat. <laughs> the principle applies there too. No, but the longer you're with someone the more your interests and your desires become close and unified and the same. Camille and I, we have been married 11 years. When I tell people, like, 11 years? You get married and you're four? You know, like, 
We've been married over a decade. When you start measuring things in decades, it's like really depressing. So we've been married 11 years, and we were radically different people when we were dating. I don't think our relationship would survive in this community had we started dating in this community. We were just totally different. People would like keep us from each other, probably, if we were in this community. By the grace of God, we met prior to this. In fact, my wife was raised to avoid people like me, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I was high-risk entrepreneur, going to go save the world. And her family's like, marry someone stable who can provide for you. I mean, right? I'm like, I'm the worst nightmare for the family. I got a startup. You know, I was like, no, gosh, no. You know, <laughs> that is how we started our marriage. We took a marriage compatibility test, and it was like, oh, dear God, no. <laughs> we were completely like, so you, you, you pass like on fun, but you fail on, on, on uh, money, on kids, and uh, roles in, in marriage. <laughs> like, were there other categories besides that? <laughs> and so our relationship was really tough. And we went to work on our relationship. We are huge advocates of counseling. We've been doing counseling for a decade. And one strategic theme in our counseling was so pivotal. It was this, is that I want you to be connected to her heart. It wasn't, I want you to communicate better. Because communication is not the issue. Come on. Communication is not the issue. The issue that our counselor helped identify is that I want you to be connected to her heart. And that notion was just so radically transforming for us. And so 10 years later, like, we have all this stuff in common. Like, our hearts have become unified and molded together. Like, I have this passion for travel and entertaining now. You know, like, we're teaching our kids. I don't, I'm, my wife is fluent in Spanish. I'm, like, terrible at Spanish. We're, like, teaching our kids Spanish and Spanish immersion preschool. It's crazy. She likes spicy food now, which is amazing. She likes high-risk startups now, apparently, which is great. We like the same shows. We're both foodies. Well, she's a foodie. I'm, like, looking for the bacon and the, the steak. But our hearts are in unison, and our desires are now mutual. The point is that mutually connected hearts take on each other's desires. This is how outrageous God's goodness is, is that his goodness manifests from a place of mutual desire of your heart. Let me say that again. His goodness manifests from a place of mutual desire of heart, meaning that your heart and his heart become closer and closer together. The deeper you cultivate your relationship with God, the closer your heart resembles his, and the closer his resembles yours. As you grow in your intimacy with God, your heart takes on those desires, and those desires also impact God, and his desires become your desires. And so this should change the entire way we think about God's goodness in this one very specific detail is that God is a joyful participant when he gives to you. When God gives, when he's good to you, it's not like, oh, this sucks. He's like, I love this. This is what I want to do too. He's not a begrudging father. He's not like depressed. You're not, he's not cheap. He's not reluctant. The magic of the goodness of God is that you are not extracting goodness from him. He is lavishing it upon you with joy. You're not getting him to surrender. You're not asking God to relinquish anything against his desire. 
He's a joyful, willing participant in his goodness, and it's originating from a place of mutual hearts. It's actually the same way God asks us to give money. He says, give from abundant heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, if your heart ain't into it, I don't need your money. But give from the heart. If your heart is it, that's all that matters. So the transformation of my heart's desires as a father is one of the most astounding things. My heart develops new desires that I've never had before having kids. One day we're at a park, took Scarlett to we have a park next to our house. And we were watching, you know, different things. And like this uh, father and son come by and they're, um, they bring a soccer ball and they're playing soccer. Now I hate soccer. Tough crowd. <laughs> I was expecting cheers. Come on. So boring. So boring. Just remove the goalies. Come on. It'll be so much better. My daughter jumps in. And I have a little Pele on my hands here. A little messy. She's like dribbling around. I'm like, what's happening here? You know, she, she's like this prodigy player. You know what I find myself doing the next day? Shopping for soccer balls. I'm like, that's a good one. Is this a good soccer ball? And now I play soccer with her in the backyard, and I'm thinking, we might have the next superstar on our hands. And I'm all about it now, all of a sudden. Radical transformation. My daughter's like, I want to play soccer. I'm like, yeah. It's like, who am I? This isn't me. Here's what's happening. A child's heart transforms a father's heart. A child's heart transforms a father's heart. Your heart is shaping, influencing, and transforming God's heart and shaping his goodness, and you never even knew it. Your heart is shaping, influencing, and transforming God's heart and his goodness, and you don't even know it. The ideas and desires of a father are transformed according to the heart of his children. It's the most in-touch feeling I have right now as a father. is like watching my daughter's desires develop and suddenly, in me, corresponding desires. It's crazy. Now, Camille, on the weekends, we have like high-stress weekend or weeks. Like, ah, oh, what should we do? And I see, what sounds fun to you this weekend? I'm like, a bounce house sounds fun. My kids. Now, don't get me wrong. Standing in a corner by myself, my children jump in an inflatable Petri dish. May not sound like a whole lot of fun. Because, I mean, seriously, these things are disgusting. I mean, they're never cleaned. Ever. I'm grossed out talking about it. But I'm like, a bounce house sounds really good. Why? Is because the sound of laughter, joy, elation, and jubilee is worth every second. That's what I'm after. What sounds fun to me is what sounds fun to my kids. Now, one time, instead of a bounce house facility, I ordered one to our house. I was like, I don't want to go to West Sac. Like, let's order one at our house. So I invited uh, one of Scarlett's friends by, Jared and Addie. And we set out like lawn chairs, we ordered food in, and we like set up this entire bounce house, right? Like it's like careening under the trees. Now there's only one thing wrong with that, is that you're like, well, that's not a big deal. Like, I put it in our front yard. 
Like, oh, that's cool. And the only problem with that is that we live in East Sac, in this little neighborhood called the Fab 40s, on a street where the average value of a home is about a million dollars. And I set up this like 25-foot bounce house on our front yard. The look on the neighbors' faces as they were coming by, you would have thought that I had an RV out front and I was barbecuing a cat, is the look that they have. They're driving by like, you know, you suck, you know. They're looking down, what is going on here? Now I'm like, I'm having fun. Like my wife is like, oh dear Lord. I don't know where you were, because she was at home, because I don't think I ever would have gotten away with it. And the best was, like, the parents who had, like, kids in the backseat, like, the Mercedes SUV, like, on, like, you see, like, the parent doing this, and, like, you see a kid's, like, <laughs> and the parent's, like, no, you know. <laughs> now, this was fine enough, except we have a neighbor who's a real estate agent who got a brand new listing seven houses down. Sent out the open house sign right next to our bounce house because we're on the corner. First day of opening. The guy comes out to pull out the signs for like the open house, like looking at this bounce house. We're like, I'm eating pizza. I might as well offer him like Bud Light had a sleeveless t-shirt on, you know? And he's just like, how are you? And this is Saturday, right? I'm like, it's a two-day rental. (laughs) Just shaking his head. I think we single-handedly probably took 100 grand off the price of that house. Just by the, now that balance house is not always there on the corner. Horrified. Horrified. <laughs> We're just like, yeah. I think I have a photo possibly maybe of us bouncing in there. And so we were just having the, the time ever. And Camille's a little mortified. But you know, I didn't care why. It's because God does not care how his goodness appears to others. God does not care how his goodness appears to outsiders or others. We care. We're like, God, for them? Really? Did you see what they did last week? Like, we're all, like, annoyed and paranoid about it. God, you can't be that good to him. How about me? That story's all throughout the Bible. The same principle that God does not care. His goodness does not discriminate. doesn't care what you did. He's going to be good to you anyways. How God is good to someone is none of your business and none of his concern. At one time, I used to feel guilty for like things I do for my kids. I feel guilty we had a, a mutual friend. I would do some cool things for Camille as we were dating. I mean, because I you know, was marrying outside my league, so I had to like swing big, right? And there'd be like other boyfriends who were like, why are you doing this, you know? Jeez. The same pressure is like it with, with like being a dad. I can't tell you how many quesadillas I've made that I've wanted to post on Facebook, and Camille's like, really? More quesadillas? It's like, yeah. 
It's like, I like it. I'm really good at carving. Create. So last night's quesadilla was a t-shirt with a heart drawn on it. It's really good. So the story last week was that I asked my daughter, what do you want to eat? And she's like, quesadilla, sweet. And she'll, she gives me these crazy creations. I'm like, now moving to like 3D modeling quesadillas, I think. So... <laughs> But there's a pressure of like, don't do something good because someone else is going to feel insignificant for what they're doing. I'm like, I can't do anything about your lack of effort and creativity. I don't care what you're doing. I'm only doing this for my daughter. I'm sorry it makes you feel weird. But my goodness to my daughter isn't any of your business. Maybe I'll stop posting on Facebook, I guess. <laughs> but... The goodness of God, it doesn't care what other people think. And not only that, is that don't underestimate the lengths that a father will go to hear the sound of joy in their kids. Do not underestimate the ability for a father to go to the ends of the earth to hear the sound of joy in their kids. Think about this. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Joy. Hey. Love, joy, peace, patience. We're just going to stop it too. Love, we get it. God is love. Duh. Love one another. Duh. Joy. The second list in the fruit of spirit is joy. Not tithing, not sacrifice, not fasting, not nine-hour prayer sessions. Fruit of the spirit is joy. God's goodness is for us to experience joy. God's goodness is for us to experience joy. If you have no enjoyment, then it means that you are suppressing the Spirit. You are intended for joy. You are wired for joy. You have been fashioned to experience joy. You have been purposed for joy. Notice I didn't say that you're intended to be rich, have a mansion, drive fancy cars. No, but you are intended for joy. That's the one thing that every single person here is entitled to, deserving to. The goodness of God is the ingredient that even permits you to have enjoyment. And so I want to give my kids unexpected joy. My desire is to like, okay, I can, I can do the bounce house and tick off all the neighbors. And like, they don't, they don't know. They think it's off. And they're inviting the neighbors over right now. You know, so they don't, they don't care. But what I want to do is I want to surprise my kids with joy. One of my favorite things with Maverick, he's 20 months. We're still changing diapers. And one of my favorite things is like to surprise him with like a tickle attack while changing his diaper. Because he's like 40 pounds. He's enormous. People are like, how old is your son? We're like, 20 months. He's like, dear Lord. Like, he has been in the largest size Pampers diaper for six months already. Like I have to get Depends for him here soon. We're going to have a crisis in six months when he's like, a full-grown adult, but two years old. <laughs> so one of the things, one of the things I like to do is when I change his diapers, I like to like, like dinosaur, like ah, like and I like blow on his tummy. Now, exercising their abdominals while changing a diaper can sometimes backfire, <laughs> literally. But he's just like, ah, like just. And he's like, he gets like laugh happy. So like when I change his diapers and make the different noises, like surprising him with joy. He is designed to experience joy. And so any attempt, whether it's in the face of, of 
poo or not? Oh, he's so funny. If, if you guys see him, like, change his life, he's like, pee-you. Like, he says it in the cutest way. And it's so funny. He thinks it's funny, too. But surprising him with joy, trying to interrupt his life with joy. This is the heart of a father. No matter what you're doing, he's like, you are designed for joy. It doesn't matter what it is you're involved in, what you're involved in. He's like, I want, to, I want to bring you joy. But here's the problem is that the notion of joy is almost completely absent from most Christian lives. This notion of joy that God wants to intervene and intersect your life with joy is a completely foreign concept practically to many Christian lives. Why? Is that some Christians get religious highs off of being miserable. Some Christians get religious highs off of being miserable. Some people like to, rel- to measure their religious stature by the amount of misery in their life. They think that misery and being miserable gives God pleasure. They think that God is glorified by their misfortune. I just lost my job, but God is glorified. And God's like, really? That? Out of all things, that? I crashed my car, my car blew on fire, but God is glorified. Really? Hmm. That's my goodness? Is your car lighting on fire? But we do it all the time because we think, oh man, like things are bad, but, but the more misery I have, the more glory God gets. I mean, I, if I really wanted to go that direction, I could have you guys all like, yeah, amen, yeah. It sounds religious. The more suffering, the more glory there is. Completely false. Not the heart of God. Not the heart of a father. And in that too, that there's this notion that you have to be miserable in order to rely on God. Notice that? That relying on God is kind of like a synonym for like your life sucks. Like... I'm not relying on God if I have a good job, but you are since, you know, you don't. Like, when did this become a competition? Have you ever felt bad that, like, your life doesn't suck? But people are like, I'm just relying on God. You're like, well, I'm too. (laughs) When you are secure in God's love and God's goodness for you, like, you don't think about that, that anything isn't from God. Like, of course I know everything is from Jesus. That never was up for debate and discussion. But there's something about God's heart that says that, that I actually, that God's heart weeps when our heart weeps. That's what's lost. And so we think that when our heart suffers, for some strange reason, that God's heart becomes happy. Only a terrible father would find pleasure from his children's misery and misfortune. Only a terrible father would find pleasure from his children's misery and misfortune. There's not a shred of, of there's not a, sh- a shred in my entire existence that desires to see my kids miserable. I don't, I don't want to protect them. I don't want to like keep them in a bubble. I want them to work hard. I want them to be brave. I want them to be everything that they can be. But only a sick father would delight in the suffering and the sadness of his kids. But we believe that all the time about God. When we say the things that we say about ourselves in light of God, in light of our misfortune, and you personify that with you and your own kids, you're like, I'm crazy. That makes no sense. I would never do that. The equivalent is taking my daughter. She's, she has a pony. My wife's a horse vet. We gave her a pony, a two. 
And the equivalent, when we say, you know, all these different things about God, like, you know, God gives and takes away, is be like, you know, I'm going to go to her pony and put her horse to sleep and tell her, well, Daddy gives and takes away. It's in my goodness that I put your pony to sleep. We buy that theology all the time. That theology loses all sense of goodness as we understand it. That's not goodness of God. God's desire is that we actually are unified in heart, that we have a shared and mutual desire of heart. When we weep, he weeps. When we are elated, he is. But here's the thing is that it's easier for people to change their theology about the goodness of God rather than live without an explanation for their pain. Let me say that again. It's easier for you to change your theology about the goodness of God rather than to have pain without explanation. It's not the bargaining chip of like, oh, I, I just don't, maybe there isn't a reason why this is happening. But we're more convinced it's easier to change the theology of God. But misery is completely incompatible with the goodness of God. Now, Scarlett turned four yesterday. And it was the day that she had to graduate from using a pacifier. She's been holding on to this pacifier four years. And so, you know what happens, like, she, we're talking, like, and this is, you know, you're growing up, like, you're a big girl, and, and we talked to her, like, we want you to, like, give us your passy and be done. She's like, okay, okay, okay. And so, what a bad father would do is he's like, God gives and takes away, you know. We partnered with her, had her reason, and she gave it to us. Now, the theology doesn't stop there, because then our theologists say, well, God is, you know, whatever. We knew she was really stressed out last night about this. And our concern for her sleeping without a pass, like we were like ready there to comfort her. Our hearts were more concerned about her well-being for the way that she's being brave and making this decision. Our hearts weren't like delighted that finally that thing's gone. Like our hearts were concerned with her. And we should be absolutely shocked at the level of concern that God the Father has for your heart even something as small as a pacifier. It's easy to think that his goodness is like rainbows and kitty cats and whiskers, but his goodness extends to the constant care and attention for you, even on the insignificant things. His care is mindful of you. I'm not worried about the big details for my life. I was worried about the little details of her heart. Why? It's because our hearts share that mutual desire. You know what also happened yesterday? What happens on birthdays? Presents! She got presents. Now, our house looked like a Disney princess semi-truck blew up in our living room. Like, careened out of control, turned over, and just spilled Disney all over our house. We have Disney streamers, window decorations, things hanging from chandeliers. We have aerial cake toppers. We had tablecloths, everything. Inclusive of, like, friends and family, she got... Uh, a princess dress, a princess umbrella, princess figurines, three princess slippers, and about six princess dolls. You know what? She, liked, she loved every single second about it. So did I. You know what she wanted? Like the day was busy, she's like, I just want to be left alone and play my toys. And you know what I said? How dare you have idolatry? <laughs> no. No way. 
It's bad theology. It says, I want you to enjoy those princesses too. I want you to enjoy every good thing you just received. You would be just, your mind would be blown if you knew how much God delights in you delighting. That simple thing, like we're, we're fashioning these, these things that are good for our daughter and, and we're just, these are yours. We're doing it for you because we're good and we want you to enjoy them. And so seeing her delight in the gifts and the generosity brings us tremendous delight. I mean, we're like videotaping everything, doing like 60 frames per second to watch her, you know, her face change. And here's the thing about this and then God giving gifts is that God is not in competition with himself. His goodness for you, God's goodness is not in competition with himself. I used to be terrified that I better not, I better not love anything too much. Anybody ever have that fear? If I really love it, ooh, man, God's going to send a lightning bolt. It's going to take it away. I was convinced that I couldn't love anything. If I, if I loved anything too much, that God would take it away because he's insecure. I'm not, in, I'm not competing with the princess. I want her to enjoy that. I gave it to her. She's not thinking, oh, this princess, you are my God now. Like, like she's not even thinking that. Idolatry is not the love of a good gift. Idolatry is when you say, God, you're not needed anymore because of this. That's idolatry. But I got it backwards. I was terrified of enjoying anything. And so I wanted to be really religious. And so to be really religious means you have to be really miserable. That's what it meant. Terrified of good things. Terrified of enjoying things. I'm now in a season of life where everything, like it's almost like, Everything just got turned up. It's always the best burrito ever. It's always the best dirt bike. It's always the best. I mean, like everything, I'm just feeling completely accentuated in God's goodness. And to celebrate it because like God is like not being like, whoa, 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 you enjoy that way too much. I'm going to like take that now. In my heart with seeing my daughter receive these gifts, you know what would upset me? The one thing that would upset me is for me to give her something and her not to enjoy it. I'd be more upset if she didn't enjoy what she received. I'd be more upset if she's like, no, daddy, for your glory. (laughs) I'd be more upset if she like, brought them to me and like, I lay them at your feet, Jesus. No, I mean like... <laughs> I give to my daughter, I don't want her to give back. It's like this wasn't a competition who can outgive. Sometimes we're in competition with God, like, who can give him more? Like, it's not, like, don't even think that way. That's it's dumb. It's the dumbest thing in the history of mankind. You can't offer God anything more than your heart. That's it. God's not in competition with your car. He's not in competition with your house. He's not in competition with them. The the single thing he cares about is just your heart. If he has your heart, he can give you the world and doesn't care. God is looking, this is a great quote I've heard. God is looking for people who don't love the world to entrust the world to. When we are connected in heart with God, he's like, 
I want to give you the world because I know that I have your heart. The rest of the stuff doesn't even matter to you, and I know it. But because you experience my goodness, I'm going to give you the kingdom. That's what I want my daughter to have. I want my daughter to feel like she can receive from me without ever having any guilt. There's a lot of Christian guilt that we have, right? God does something good. We're like, ooh, I better, I better give back. I better deserve it. I better do something for it. It's not a gift if you can repay it. My daughter came back. She's like, here's a 20, Dad. I'm mean, like, where did you get that one? And two, no. Because a gift is a gift when you can't repay it back. She, by design, is to never be able to repay the experiences that we give her by design. And it's uncomfortable to be in God's goodness in such a capacity that you can actually receive and enjoy and not feel guilty about it and receive it and actually enjoy because it brings him delight. I think I'm going to stop it there. I love you guys.